Hey guys, Daniel here. So I thought I might just try something a little different. So yeah, after attending a great game between Melbourne and Collingwood over the weekend, fortunate about the result, but uh, yeah, thought it might be a good idea to just try and do a bit of a recap. I know a little bit late, but better late than never. I guess maybe one of the reasons I wanted to do this was just, it's yeah really easy for some of these games you go to to just turn into a little bit of a blur. Often you'll remember like a play here or there or, you know, the end score. But yeah, when it's a really good game, maybe it's a good way to try and remember a little bit more of it than that. So uh, yeah, let's have a look at what we got here. So where were the teams at coming into the game? Well, they're both in the top four, Collingwood and Melbourne. And Collingwood were actually coming off a 10-game win streak. And during this time, it's really been against the bottom eight sides. Uh, and there were often close games. So I suppose maybe a few people were underestimating Collingwood a little bit because of this. But usually these wins were powered by a surge in the last quarter, and uh, that's a really powerful thing when they can just keep taking the game on in the last quarter and uh, that never-say-die attitude, they all look completely dialed into that. So it's really been a hallmark of the Collingwood team under first-year coach Craig McRae. They just seem to have great belief and uh, willingness to take the game on. Must be fantastic for their supporters. So, yeah, coming into the game, they sat third on the ladder with an extremely low percentage of 106 and 14 wins. Uh, so the 106 is obviously coming from uh, not winning by much, but 14 wins. So they're matching Melbourne, who were currently in second before this game. So let's talk a little bit about the Ds. Well, they've had some indifferent form of late after starting the season 10-zip. Not unlike they did last season, really. But uh, yeah, people do... (laughs) There are people who still, you know, maintain the faith and others who are unconvinced and others who, you know, will think Melbourne are no chance now. So the truth is somewhere probably in the middle there. But yeah, definitely haven't been overly convincing the last couple of months. So... One reason why a lot of people were backing Melbourne in this game was they looked like they were back to their best when they really had to pull out a performance against Frio over in the West last week. Everything seemed to work, and that was another top eight clash as well. Both these teams were competing for the top four. The game looked in great order. The pressure had returned for almost the first time all year other than the Brisbane game, and everything in the game just seemed to click into gear. And... uh, that was really handy to get back up into the second position or maintain that second position. So second versus third, that's where we come to a uh, Friday night at the MCG. So there's a little bit of rain around earlier in the day, but uh, yeah, managed to stop by the time the game started, thankfully. And yeah, huge crowd headed to the G, just over 70,000. So uh, we were in Richmond just before the game started and it was absolutely packed. Uh, Hard to get a seat in the beer and burger bar but uh we managed it so game has been run and won so won't bore you with the details of the play-by-play but let's have a look at how the game was won at least my interpretation of it so the game was definitely worthy of a top four clash the pressure was high throughout but really went to another level in the second half and it was really collingwood who were taking the lead here they were the hunters after coming out from that halftime break They just smashed into Melbourne with everything they had. They were harassing, stripping, and breaking possession chains that Melbourne were trying to get going. Nothing was easy. 
So their ability to be dangerous in their forward line as well, once the ball was hitting the ground, was just crazy. They had so many snaps that were going through. Normally, you're not too worried when an opposition's getting a snap off, but the Pies were just making any half chance into a goal. Usually, it was uh, sailing through no matter where they were taking their shots from. They were also doing extremely well from set shots. So they were getting a lot of their set shots within that sort of 35-meter range and also not on on too much of an angle. So it uh, told you a little bit about how they were actually attacking once they got inside 50. They were using quite low kicks often and uh, not allowing Melbourne's interceptors to uh, do what they do best. So even though Collingwood didn't really have a lot of inside 50s, in particular in the first half, they were still ultra-accurate. So... Melbourne really did have the better of that first half, but only a 17-point lead because Collingwood had an accurate 8-2 on the board uh, from, I think, only uh, as well under uh, 20 inside 50s there. So, uh, a little bit more on uh, how the game was won here. So, Collingwood just finding ways to score from so few forward entries it was almost uncanny. They were doing it time and time again. Melbourne would have it down their end of the field for an extended period and Collingwood would get a little bit of space and in the blink of an eye, they'd have another goal. Uh, and uh, Jamie Elliott was doing uh, the job up forward and around the stoppage, it was Dugowie who was extremely dangerous. Uh, they also had uh, Nick Dacos racking up the possessions. But really, it was a team effort that are all really in sync. And you could just tell that they all knew exactly what they were trying to do. And they were doing it together and making life very difficult for Melbourne, who had also brought it. And I will talk a bit about Melbourne uh, once we get to the how the game was lost section of this. Uh, but really, the number one factor in this game was Collingwood's pressure in the second half. And it really just broke down the way Melbourne wanted to play. Their pressure went well up on what it was in the first half. It was still good in the first half, but just went to that extra level. And if you combine that with their inside 50 effectiveness and uh, just willingness to take the game on, it did make it difficult for a Melbourne side who uh, looked a little unimaginative in the second half. So... Really, this all added up to an 11th win in a row. Turned out to only be by seven points. There's a lot of lead changes in that last quarter. Uh, and Collingwood did get the rub of the green with a few uh, umpiring decisions going their way close to goal. I think, yeah, maybe they were 50-50s, maybe slightly towards the fact that they should have been paid. But the important thing here is that they were creating dangerous entries that gave them the chance to actually have these... Uh, Decisions actually paid, whether it be, you know, Jack Viney uh, being penalised for not quite getting the boot to the ball, even if he hadn't had prior opportunity or a bit of a push in the back uh, as well on one of their players where it was sort of partially in the side. I think that one was there. But you got to be putting the ball in the right places to force the opponent into these errors. And that's exactly what Collingwood were doing. And they also did really well to just hold the... Uh, lead really for the last five minutes and not allow Melbourne really any chances to get it back in their forward half. So that was quite impressive as well. So that's the Collingwood side of things. Let's go to the Melbourne side of things where we're talking about how the game was lost. Um, So particularly in the first half, Melbourne looked really out for the contest. 
I almost thought that thing with Ed Langdon during the week, the uh, all duck and no dinner thing, sort of calling Collingwood out in a way, might have almost been to try and get the Melbourne players up, but uh, I don't think that's how he intended it. But uh, you almost feel like at the moment Melbourne need reasons to get up for games. It's not quite like last year where, you know, everything was new and they just wanted to keep their role going. Uh, now it just sort of seems like they're content to sort of uh, do what they have to do, get the job done and nothing more. And I guess that leaves them vulnerable in some of these games. In saying that, they did play very well in this game, uh, especially in the first half. A uh, few things came off the rails a little in the second half, but still it was worthy of a top four clash and people were saying, or some people were saying game of the year and you know it wouldn't have been out, out of place as a final. So let's have a look at Melbourne. What did they actually do? Well, uh, they generated a lot of scoring shots. They had heaps of the ball in the first half. They were winning contested possession, really everything. They were dominating. Uh, I think they doubled the inside 50, so 40 inside 50s and a half roughly. Uh, they'd had 17 scoring shots and they'd had 10 goals on the board by half time. But really the only problem with this was that when Collingwood did have a chance to actually go forward, they were incredibly accurate and uh, it seemed like a bit of luck sometimes, but you can't be lucky that many times. They had some system to that madness and uh, they're really catching Melbourne out on those quick transitions, whether ball was hitting the ground or if they were getting it deep. So who were the winners for Melbourne here? Who was making it all happen? Well, around the ball, Melbourne were dominant. Uh, Collingwood was struggling in the clearances, something shocking. So it was Oliver, Viney, Petrarca and Brayshaw racking up the possessions uh, and generating plenty of inside 50 opportunities. Melbourne did kick 10 goals in a half, so they still took quite a few of their chances, but they had a few more that were really should have gone through. Probably the worst of them was a set shot from Gorn from about 20 metres out directly in front that he got the characteristic hook going with. And uh, yeah, they... Took, Collingwood took the ball straight up the other end and uh, got a goal after that kick out not long after. So that was a bit of a killer when Melbourne really had the run of the game. So the run and gun for Melbourne was definitely there in the first half uh, using the uh, speed and just the want to attack and uh, expose the opponent. That was definitely there uh, in the first half and that allowed them to generate a lot of these shots I've been talking about. The highlight was probably... Uh, came in, coming from Fritch in an open bit of play that Melbourne generated down the members' wing. Can't remember who it was, but kicked it in long to Fritch in a one-on-one contest. He was backing back, and to get access to the ball, he basically uh, jumped up, and in doing so, uh, speckied his Collingwood opponent, even though he was the one in front. It was pretty crazy to see, and uh, went back and kicked the goal as well. So that was an amazing play there, probably Melbourne's signature moment on the night. So really the lead probably should have been a little more for Melbourne at halftime, although uh, props to Collingwood for hanging in there and making the most of their chances. But really the second half was where Melbourne truly lost the game. So they seemed unable to deal with Collingwood's pressure. Uh, They couldn't get uh, enough clean possession chains going. Either the willingness or the ability to uh, go on attacking runs and uh, take the game on out of defense or once they won the ball it did seem to dry up so yeah it's probably a combination of Collingwood's pressure and 
perhaps a little bit of fatigue or just trying to hold the lead, which was really dangerous because, uh, you know, Collingwood can score pretty well once they do get going. They're not a high-scoring team, but they're always dangerous. So if that was the strategy just to try and hold the lead, I'm not sure whether that was the right one. So again, Melbourne faded out in the second half, only kicking three goals. It's been a pattern in a lot of their losses to top eight teams this year. It happened against Fremantle, it happened against Sydney. I know there were some in-game injuries in those games, but it doesn't change the fact that Melbourne's getting out to these leads against good teams and they're getting run down in the second half. So, uh, yeah, really what seemed to change the game as well as Collingwood's pressure. We talked about how uh, Melbourne was so dominant around the ball in the first half. It started to even up. The wheel started to turn back towards Collingwood and all they needed was parity in that area to become even more dangerous in terms of, you know, getting those good chances inside 50 and uh, putting it on the scoreboard. So you could just tell as as Collingwood started to win more of the ball that the game was sort of shifting in their favour. And so it proved they were the victors. So, yeah, I think it was a hard uh, loss to take for a lot of Melbourne supporters just because Melbourne did play a good game by a lot of measures. And, yeah, maybe they should have put Collingwood away in the first half, but... At the same time, Collingwood, I think you would have to say, with a better team, definitely in the second half, and probably overall, the second half is more important than the first half. Uh, that's the one that wins it more often than not. All right, so what does it mean going forward? Well, let's go to Collingwood uh, first. So they have uh, Sydney up in Sydney and then Carlton to finish at the MCG. So win, it's pretty simple. Win both of those games and they finish top two. Who would have thought that? for a team that finished outside the eight last year and was kind of meant to be a rebuilding. But they do still have that core of experienced players and uh, everything's just clicking. So uh, they will start underdogs against Sydney, but even one more win uh, will more or less solidify top four. So that would be a great result for Collingwood. As for Melbourne, they've now slipped down to third and they've got uh, a few teams breathing down their neck for the top four position as well. So uh, we've got uh, Sydney, Brisbane, and uh, a few others kicking around there. So Melbourne really has to probably, well, they have to win both their last two games to finish in the top four more than likely. It is probably going to be a straight shootout between Melbourne and Brisbane if they both win this weekend. Uh, it could be a yeah, straight shootout there for that uh, one of those spots in the four. Unlikely... They still could finish top two uh, based on Collingwood's percentage if Collingwood do drop a game. But yes, it's uh, not unfathomable that Melbourne can drop out of the top four. Uh, and uh, starting the season with 10 wins, you wouldn't have thought you'd be saying that. But it's all in front of them. They've won when they've had to this year. So why wouldn't that continue? Eh? When they absolutely had to respond against Brisbane, as the top two clash back then and against Fremantle whenever I'm starting to doubt them after the Bulldogs game, that's when they responded. So I'm hoping for a good response against Carlton and the week after against Brisbane because uh, they're really in danger of what looked like a really promising season just starting to slip away. But anyway, there's a bit of a recap. Uh, hopefully you found some of that interesting. At least it's in the vault uh, and it'll be there as a record of a fantastic game on a Friday night at the MCG. Bye for now.